Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Saving, uh, you probably hitting every day. So full pads in the heat. For two hours, so uh, yeah. Here we we get we get good working, but they, they don't don't try to kill us. We uh we good. We good. Lions running back Jameer Gibbs on the differences between NFL practices and college practices under Nick Saban, and this is one of the realities of college football. The rules are there ain't no rules. Coach does whatever he wants. Coach is the Pretty emperor. Much. Right. Coach, want, coach wants to put him in pads every day and beat the crap out of him. Coach can. Yeah. There was some talk in the past about maybe the conferences setting up some rules about limits on practices or whatnot. But in the absence of a union, in the absence of a body that has the authority and the ability to protect the players, you're going to have the coach do whatever the coach wants to do. And we've been hearing that for years. It was one of the reasons why Derrick Henry slid down the board when he came out in the draft. Hey, he got banged up at Alabama. Right. These guys get banged up. Nick Saban chews them up and spits them out. Nick Saban's not. He can say he's trying to lay the foundation for you to go have a successful NFL career. He's still going to get every last ounce of juice out of the orange that he can before he throws it to the NFL. And if there's no juice left, not my problem. I got what I needed. Yeah. So I, I hear you. I hear you. I think he's, 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 he's not as cutthroat in that department, right? You see him kind of like, he doesn't let running backs be workhorses as much anymore. Like he did maybe 10, 12 years ago. He realizes he's got to save them a little bit. Right, Mike. But I, I mean, Hey, college kids too. You can handle it. They can handle it. I do think there is some laying of the foundation. They are young. They're not beat up nearly to the same capacity NFL football players are. It, it does set it up. It is easier. I, you know, I, I, I can say that to a degree, too. You know, training camp in college, like you said, it's full pads. It's, yeah, oh, we were out there for three hours today in the first of two practices. And then the second practice, we're going to be out there for another two and a half hours. You, you said it right. The head coach is king. He's king of the campus more times than not. Um, 
Uh, but in the NFL, it's refreshing because it's, it's a totally different dynamic and how they take care of the players, and it's more efficient, and there's less players on the field too, and there's less players on the team to where guys get better quality reps as well. Uh, and there's just more of an imbalance because of the money, the investment, and the older players. And that's what makes it refreshing for a guy like Jameer Gibbs, I'm sure, at practice. I saw someone react to the Gibbs comments by saying, well, you realize, Jameer, this is just spring. It's not training camp yet. You think in the spring, Nick Saban and putting him in full pads during his four weeks of practice right. and beating the hell right. out of them? And and it's not just Alabama, but Alabama has developed yeah, their reputation. The, sure. Those are the players we hear it from, that when they come to the NFL, the NFL is actually easier than college was. And you can say, hey, hey, they've been prepared. They've been prepared better than others yeah. to come to the NFL and have successful careers. But the balance is you don't want them to be so banged up that they have less tread on the tires than other players yeah. and therefore have shorter NFL careers because of everything they gave physically when they were at Alabama. It, I, I don't want to pick on Nick Saban. No, but I know. They're the poster child for Nick work Saban and physical. West Virginia guy. Right, right, right. Right. George is the same way. I mean, we, you know, right? Like, I don't think Kirby Smart's teaching them how to do pat, patty cake out there during practice, right? They're, they're hitting. They're putting the pads on. So it, it's, it's, but your, your point's real. It, it is. But, but also, too, Mike, you know, and I think we had a little text conversation about this last week, you and I. And, and you know you've heard me say this, too. I, I think also, though, the flip side of this is, hey, there's a fine line for college football and Nick Saban and all that, right? But I think there's a flip side, too. There's a fine line right now, and I think there's a thought throughout the league, and I'm one that's like this. I talk about this with some, you know, my dad and some other old-school players, and I've had these conversations with a, a bunch of coaches where – I, I think one of the beliefs in football around old school coaches especially is the fact that we're seeing higher injury rates right now is because guys aren't as in good football shape. That they can't you know, work them quite to the same capacity in the offseason and training camp like they used to be. And that's one where, yeah, I, I'm one to say, hey, the NFLPA and all these rules they've set up, you know, I, I know their heart's in a good place, but I don't think the reality of the situation and how they set it up right now is actually benefiting players. It might benefit guy in year 10 who's really beat up and knows exactly how to play the game, and he's it's like riding a bike for him. But for guy in year two, three, four, and five, I think the current system is is not set up for them to succeed, get better, or stay healthy like it was in the old days. Well, I, I wrote something about that. And I know you did. Our right. text conversation. Right. That, right. That this question of health and safety, health and safety, the obsession with health and safety. Oh, but never mind the fact that the players are playing on turf and they all hate it and they all believe it makes them more susceptible to injuries, both when their head hits the turf or when their foot locks into it and their knees blow out. But otherwise, the NFL is obsessed with health and safety. The 2011 CBA, when it got down to the end, and the NFL was holding firm on its financial expectations. And the union started asking for other stuff. Reduced off-season practice time. Reduced training camp practice time. Elimination of double sessions. Fully padded two practices in a day. The league just started agreeing to everything because it didn't cost them anything. They were getting the financial victory they wanted. And the stuff that the NFL Players Association was asking for had nothing to do with 
with the dollars and cents. If anything, it saved the owners some money because it's fewer days. Exactly. Players are in the building. Exactly. You don't have to get them the per diem right. for being there. Right. So, yeah, they, they gladly uh, approved. And I I knew coaches and scouts at the time who were up in arms. They were like, well, the, the, the players have secured the right for basically having someone else go play the game for them. So, uh, the, and so the question is, and we've seen this time and again, early in the season, teams aren't ready. No. And that's the question that was posed to me by a coach. Let's take a look. Yes. The information is out there right. at the, at the injury rates, the first month of the season for the 10 years before the 2011 CBA and the time since then, how healthy are players staying in September because how, and October, because how prepared are they for that physicality we talked about with quarterbacks. Quarterbacks are never touched. All of a sudden, they're thrown into the fire. Week one. You haven't been hit for months. You weren't hit in practice. You don't have to even think about being hit. Right. And now you're out there. Right. These other players, they're not tackling to the ground. Yeah. You, you know, we hear they're that not all getting the time. enough of that either. The ground. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So now so, you're. Yeah, and now all know. of a sudden, they're out there. Right. They're out there in live reps exactly. and they haven't been properly prepared for exactly. it. And guys are going to get injured. Exactly. I just don't think the sport itself is being practiced enough. You know, the movements of it. You can have your trainer and do all that. Even with that, I think the trainers and all that, it's become too specific to where players aren't necessarily in shape to play the game, right? Science shows, you know, you got to have six weeks of like intense strength training and running to strengthen muscles and ligaments for the year. That's kind of getting cut short right now. It's kind of like, hey, get in somewhat good shape just so we can go out and have an OTA that's like kind of half-assed and not that intense. And then that's where I, you know, as an ex-player, I just think the, the NFLPA is dropping the ball in that department. And, and it, it seems like they're fighting even harder to make the practices less even than what they are right now you know, around the league. And that's where it's just not good. And it's the one thing I hear from coaches time and time again is just the, the lack of ability of them to practice, get on the field, and get guys in football shape is definitely being lost with the current CBA. You know, we haven't talked about this, but there was an incident at 49ers practice at an OTA where Dwayne Allen, the former Colts tight end, and he played for, I think, the Patriots as well and maybe another team. He's an NFLPA observer now. He's part of the front office at the union and he was at a practice and somebody got hit when they shouldn't have gotten hit and he got out on the field and Kyle Shanahan told him get the hell off my field and it got a little feisty between the two of well, them. Well he should have he should have I've never in my life heard of anything like that ever and I've heard about it a little bit across the league where this has been going on NFLPA representatives have been stepping on the field a little bit what the – I want to swear so badly, it's unbelievable. First off, Dwayne Allen knows better. What the F is going on, okay? You got your standard protocol, NFLPA, but we're having guys go on the field now and tell coaches how to coach their team and how practice should be run? Go tell whoever you got to tell and let the league bylaws handle it the way they – but to jump on the field and do that, right – that, that, to me, is you couldn't be more disrespectful or out of line. When I, when I read that story or saw that, I just was like, oh, that, that's insane. Somebody better check the NFL PA. And, I, yeah, knowing my friend Kyle Shanahan, yeah, I, I'm sure he was like, what? I'm running a practice here. What the F are you doing? Right? So, I, I mean, that, 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 to me, crosses a boundary there. And, yeah, you're right. I, I, we didn't get a chance to talk about that. They smoothed it all over after the fact, but based upon the accounts I saw, it was 
spicy. Right. Between Dwayne Allen and Kyle Shanahan. But this gets back to the whole adversarial nature of the relationship. And there is a point where they have to realize it's symbiotic. It doesn't have to be a fight all the time. But the NFL makes it a fight all the time. The point we were making earlier, why is the NFL doing the players a favor under the gambling policy when they have full power to do whatever they want? Usually the NFL pushes and pushes and pushes. And they say, hey, it's collective bargaining. Sucks for you. Good for us. And if you want any of this back... We'll see you at the table. And that's the problem now for the NFL to get back any of these things that were achieved in 2011 by the union. You're going to have to give something up. You're not just going to get it back. The union's not going to say, you know what? We've thought about this. We've looked at the injury data. We believe that practices should be more intense I know. in the offseason and in training camp. We're willing to concede that point. No, you're never going to concede that point unless you get something back because you know that the league wants it. That's one of the problems. Look, I'm a firm believer in unionized representation. There is strength in numbers. There is power. And without it, you would see employers run roughshod over their workforces. And there are major employers out there that will do everything they can to avoid a union because they don't want to surrender that power because it's going to cost them money and it's going to keep them from running the business the way they want to. But within the confines of that relationship, once you have it, it's important to understand it's a partnership too. Yeah. And there needs to be cooperation in, in order to, you know, the old rising tide that lifts all boats. That's what needs to happen. It doesn't happen enough for the NFL and the NFLPA. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. Next up on this Tuesday edition of PFT Live, we continue toward the upper echelon of the Chris Sims Top 40 Quarterback Countdown with number five. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. The Top 5 is upon us, and at number five, guy who just signed a five-year contract at Makes him the highest-paid quarterback in league history. The Ravens had an off-season drama that was going to be the gift that kept on giving all the way through training camp. I thought, nope, they got it worked out right before the draft. Lamar Jackson under contract and number five in the Chris Sims top 40 quarterback countdown. Yeah, Lamar Jackson, I mean, he's a game-changer. We know that, right? I mean, I think the first thing, if I had to say, you know, one broad statement about him that I think needs to be corrected, don't get it twisted. His passing is legit. His arm is elite in all areas, in all, right? Whether it's power, throwing on the run like you see here, you know, getting the ball out of his hand quickly. I I would say other than Mahomes and Allen, nobody throws the ball sidearm or from different arm angles more than Lamar Jackson. You know, he can flick it off his back foot. And then, hey, let's not forget, it's Lamar Jackson, and he's still got three rockets up his ass, and he's arguably, you know, he's right there on the you know, on the heels of Justin Fields as far as being the best running quarterback in football as well, right? This is a guy that's a good decision maker. He is. The more you break him down, Mike, you know, I, 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 Lamar plays in the pocket. He sees the field well, right? I mean, he is an elite difference maker. He's a great leader. The only negative is is the injury right now with Lamar Jackson. And what he did last year, he was playing really good football, throwing the ball, led the team in rushing, even though he didn't play, you know, the last few games of the year. I mean, he's he's is he's a he's a one man show. And that's why he's number five. And now it's gonna be a different offense with some more weapons around him that we haven't seen in years past. And I think Lamar is going to silence all the social media idiots out there that think, oh, he's just a running back who has a strong arm. No, he's a quarterback 
who can run really damn good. That's how we look. I look at Lamar Jackson, and he needs to get the respect of that. When they fired offensive coordinator Greg Roman, the initial indications from the Ravens were that they were going to continue the same overall offensive philosophy, and they clearly aren't. With Todd Munkin in as the offensive coordinator, it's going to be more open. Look at the acquisitions they've made. Exactly. Look at where they've spent their money and their draft capital. $15 million fully guaranteed for a one-year deal with Odell Beckham Jr. First-round pick devoted to receiver Zay Flowers. They brought in Nelson Aguilar. They have two pass-catching tight ends. This is the way it's going. And Lamar Jackson will have more control in this new offense, more ability to change the plays. They are trusting him to be the guy that they're paying him to be. And that's where the money takes us. Look at the investment they've made in him, the investment they've made in the receivers. That's where this is going. It's obvious. And it's just a matter of sitting back and watching it play out. But this is going to be a very different offense. And look, I know you're a firm believer in what the Ravens can do this year. Yeah. But this is a pretty dramatic turn for it them. It is, right. So, you know, some of those early season games, they have a couple of very winnable games. I think they have the Colts and the Texans in the first few weeks. But they also have some some division round games early that they better be ready for uh, because those games can come back to haunt them later if they aren't buttoned up and if that offense isn't firing yeah. on all cylinders right out of the gate. No, agreed there. You know, but I, I think it's time. I think it's time. One, you know, like we talked about with Jalen Hurts last week and or, or uh, just or yesterday that was, right? There's not a lot of wiggle room here when you play that running quarterback, we're going to run the ball a lot style of play. And, you know, hey, we saw the first team finally get to the Super Bowl like that, but they couldn't win the football game either. The league's set up to, to throw the football. We know how quickly a game can change or you can go down the field by throwing the football, right? And I think the Ravens have realized that, and I think they realize that Lamar's ready to take the next step. That Again, the offense they were at with Greg Roman, it, no disrespect, he was really good. But it was based around the run game. And then if the run game didn't work, you know, the offense did not have enough to stand on his, stand alone on itself with just the pass game. You know, when I go back and break this down and break Lamar down, yeah, the offense, when, it, when it's not running the ball well, is pretty average as far as the pass ideas. Now they're going to play through the pass, and they're going to open it up there. And I think Lamar is going to open up a lot of people's eyes and what he can do, throwing the football, decisions. Man, does he make a lot of tight window throws. He's fearless with his control of the football. He's accurate. He throws great spirals, and we know he can play backyard football with the best of them. Uh, I'm excited to see what Lamar can do in this new offense that's framed more around the passing game, and then they'll lean to the run game as the afterthought instead of the vice versa, which we saw the last few years. What a turn this has taken, though, where we go from a spot where the vibe was that the Ravens are exasperated with Lamar Jackson, and there's all this talk about the late season injuries and how reliable is he and should they ponder a future without him, and if he's just not going to accept our offer at some point, we have to move on. Now it's all in with the money, with the offense. They're going to embrace him, and they're going to use him in a way – that they really didn't his first five years in the NFL. Yeah. It's a stunning shift it is. in approach and attitude toward a player from a team. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it's, it's, I think them, uh, that's where I give Harbaugh and the Ravens a lot of credit, realizing, hey, our team's built around the run and all this, but, 
hey, we, there's something else we need here, and we're not taking advantage of all the skills that our best player has to offer in Lamar Jackson. I think they realize that. So that's why they got Todd Munkin in there, and I think it's going to you know, open up the offense a little bit and uh, show, show Lamar and his ability to spread the field with his right arm. He wants to play in the pocket. He's a good decision maker in the pocket. He moves well in the pocket. You know, he, he finds lanes to throw to. I mean, he throws with power. He does it all. So uh, Lamar's only issue at times can be trying to make too much happen, right? If I was going to say one negative, that would be it, right? Like think about the Giants game, scrambling around everywhere and then throws a ball as he's 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage or scrambling around everywhere and then trying to make seven people miss and he fumbles the ball, right? It, it's that at times is probably the, the biggest kryptonite for Lamar. Um, but but other than that, man, he's a hell of a football player and definitely a top five quarterback for me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there was a time when it was all uncertain with Lamar Jackson that I would rattle off the true franchise quarterbacks right now. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, Jalen Hurts, not necessarily in that order. And Lamar was on the outside looking in. That was when we weren't quite sure what the Ravens sure, thought of him, right. what they were going to do this year. Now that he's kind of gotten that reaffirmation, they've renewed their vows, he's back in the trust tree, everything's fine now, it does kind of elevate his standing. And it does put him higher than maybe others. You have him higher than Trevor Lawrence and Jalen Hurts. So he's in the top five. Now he's got to prove it this year in this new offense. All right, number four, a guy who has proven it in the regular season, got to the postseason last year. It all fell apart after his team broke out to a huge lead. Number four, Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert. And he's kind of at, I don't want to say a crossroads because he's only entering year four. Yeah. But there's more and more people out there who are kind of like, this guy has to do something to hold this status yeah. that we all thrust him into right. so early in his career. I, I think that's fair. You know, he's the machine. That's how I look at it. It's the big, the big robot in the quarter, you know, at the quarterback position. And he's arguably the biggest quarterback in the NFL. You know, he's in the conversation for the best pocket passing quarterback in the NFL, right? He's him and Joe Burrow. I think have the most consistent can, mechanics in all fo, all of football, right? Mike, he has an all time arm. I mean, it's all time. I mean, look at some of these throws. It's all time. You know, it's one of the best arms in history. Unfortunately, he's in an era right now where there's Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes who definitely have the best arms in history. So he doesn't maybe get the credit he deserves in that in that department. But the size, the athleticism, it's all it's all incredible, right? He doesn't get a, the credit for as many unbelievable, game-changing, eye-popping throws he makes during a football game that we just go, oh, ho-hum, oh, that was a 40-yard laser up the sideline between two people, and we kind of just go, oh, it's just a Justin Herbert throw. He's phenomenal that way, right? I wish he would scramble more. But, Mike, I think the big thing is what you're talking about. The only negative I can come with Justin Herbert is the the leadership, the charisma, the, hey, I'm pissed off or we're not playing good enough, right? Like I have a hard time thinking, uh, if there was a negative here, that Mahomes, Allen, or Burrow would have dropped a 27-point lead in Jacksonville, right? They're just, to me, a, and I, for lack of a better way, a killer instinct that I just want to see more from Justin Herbert. His shining moment is an awesome game that he lost in Week 18 against the Raiders two years ago, right? So that's where I think you're, you're talking about and where the rubber meets the road a little in that conversation. There's an element of deference that comes from Justin Herbert. 
that he needs to shed. At some point, you have to stand up and say, I'm the man, I'm the guy, I'm the leader, I set the agenda, I stir the drink. I'm not the drink, I'm the guy that stirs the drink. Because I don't get that vibe from him. I don't. And and can you be too nice? Yes. As a quarterback, yes. You have to have a certain amount, uh, amount of, of jerk in you to truly lift a team to where it needs to be. And there's a time and a place for it. And, I, you know, you hear about some quarterbacks where publicly everything's fine and then privately they go light into guys. I've never heard that about Justin no, Herbert. right. He's just a member of the team. Yeah, right. So, and, and this is where the obligation falls to the head coach to draw it out of him to make him into that guy, to, to, to show him what he needs to do to reach his full capacity. Yeah. It's not just how accurately can you throw the ball. No doubt. How well can you read a defense. Right. It's what can you do to get that team to rally around you, to hold your players accountable. He leads by example. He needs to start leading by voice yeah he needs agreed. to start leading by emotions attitude. right attitude right he's a little bit of like he's a, a little... lot like matthew stafford yeah he's a lot like matthew stafford yeah i hear you i hear you i think even stafford's probably got a little bit more yelling ability than than herbert does that he needs to lean in on that you're right they need more out of him in that department you're the man right the team wants to follow you we've seen mahomes get more vocal over the last few years and we we see the benefits of it i think there's a lot you know i think burrow and allen are kind of that way too but I think your point's real. Hey, we know the talent, all the talents there, right? I mean, it's it's he's an incredible short game passer. They throw the ball too short. That's why they they fired Joe Lombardi or going to Kellen Moore. And I think that's going to be a positive for him, Mike. I mean, he makes he's so big, and you know, I know I said this about Trevor Lawrence, but like, I mean, you go back, you watch like uh, the the this Kansas City game they played at home. The first play of the game, he's got a guy in his face, and he's like right here, but he's got a guy open by like this much, twenty five yards down the field, and he just oh, throws it over there. He's um, unbelievable that way. Throws the ball sidearm more than you think. He does need a few more clubs in the bag, though, Mike. Too many of the balls are just zoom, zoom. Right. And we see Mahomes and Burrow and Allen. They can throw like high floaters and flick the ball and do stuff like that. That's where I would say he needs a little variety. But this is still a really talented guy that needs to find what you're talking about. That that jerkiness in, in him as a leader to to be like, no, 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 I'm the you know, not a cruise. What are the, what's the, the, the phrase I want to say? A cruise ship, you know, I'm going to butcher it the hell with it. We need a battleship commander. I already have. A battleship commander. That's where he's got to find that voice inside of him. Well, and this is, and we both love Brandon Staley, but this is why Sean Payton and Jim Harbaugh were kind of circling around the Chargers. They definitely were. to see if if Staley was going to make it. And anyone who's on the A-list this year is going to be thinking about an opportunity to be the one to take this – incredible physical specimen right and mold him into kick ass and take no names high-end franchise quarterback and maybe he just won't be that guy but i i've yet to get the impression that they're really trying and making it an, an agenda item to get the most don't be a Go cruise ahead. ship coordinator be a battleship commander that's it boom look All at right. that i corrected myself better never than late <laughs> let's take a break when we return We will uh, sort of pay homage to Wheel of Fortune, given the development that was announced yesterday. More PFT Live right after this. 
there are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi. It's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Sajak has announced that the time has come. I've decided that our 41st season, which begins in September, will be my last. It's been a wonderful ride, or ride, and I'll have more to say in the coming months. Many thanks to you all. If nothing else, it'll keep the clickbait sites busy, or or not. I don't think the clickbait sites really care about Wheel of Fortune and Pat Sajak at this point. But there was a time when Wheel of Fortune was, was like it? the biggest game show around right? back in the 80s. Right. It's amazing to me that it has lasted as long as it has. And I've yet to slide into the Wheel of Fortune demographic. I am firmly in the Jeopardy demographic. Right. And I, That's I assume when you know you're, you're, you're decrepitly else. old yeah. is when you go to the Wheel of Fortune. You're just yeah. old right now in Jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what are they going to do? I assume they're going to keep Wheel of Fortune going. they got to. I don't right? know who you get to replace <laughs> Pat Sajak. No, I know. I, well, maybe Aaron Rodgers. Maybe he likes that show too. All right, I, I'll do it. I, yeah, I can do it. I'll, I'm down for that. But like, wait, seriously, kid can't even read. A kid can't. You got to be able read. to read to be the host <laughs> no, of Wheel of Fortune. No, I know letters though. Just tell me the letters and I'll figure it out. Like, how old is Pat Sajak? Is is he 80 years old? I mean, he's he, not 80. He's not. I'd say se- over under 75. I'm gonna Bert, say over. Look it up for us. Over under 75. 76. Wow, 76. Wow. And then wow. how much money do you think Pat Sajak has? How much money? Seriously, throw out a number. What do you think he has for all these years doing Wheel of Fortune? Over under 225 million. <laughs> I'm going to say over. I, yeah. $75 it says? That's bull I, crap. I don't, I, I don't trust estimated net worth. <laughs> no way. That stuff, that, they have it's no not idea. Wrong. They're, They're just wrong. throwing right. a dart. They yeah, have no idea. They have yeah. no idea. Okay. I've seen estimates of our net worth that I know are horribly off. I'm not going to say whether they're too high or too low, but they are horribly Yeah, I know a few off. people. I have no idea what yours is. Right, right. It's no. it's off. It is off. I've, I've seen a few that – I've had this conversation with people. You're right. And Pat Sajak, $75 million. Are you kidding me? Like, get the F out of here, $75 million. I think you're $300 million short, whoever made that thing. Like, there's no way. I, I would think with that show – being syndicated every I mean it's everywhere right I mean I would think he's making north of 20 30 million dollars a year for a while here 
look at it this way. If, if his estimated salary is $14 million and he's only worth $75 million, the guy's got some habits we don't know about. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, but uh, but um, uh, the, the, here's the reality. There's no way he would have done it for 40 years if he wasn't getting paid uh, no a shitload right. of money. Right. Yeah. And I apologize right. to anyone out there offended by the use of the word but there's no way you do it for 40 years if the ends aren't meeting like an MF in the Sajak household. Because at some point, unless you are getting so much money that there is no way you would ever walk away from it, at some point, you have to ask yourself, what have I done with my life? I stand here and they turn letters. Surely there is something else I was put on earth to do than to make small talk with a bunch of people that I don't care about as they spin a wheel and guess puzzles. You don't do it for 40 years unless you are making a ton of money. I would think so. I think it's that simple. Yeah. All right. Agreed. Uh, of course, I've been doing this so for 23 years. Is, is now, Vanna White gone too? Now, Does she leave? Doing it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she takes over. I know. It just seems like they're like a package deal. I can't even imagine one without the other. I mean, it's it's uh, yeah, it's crazy. I, I wonder how that's going to play out. I don't know. You know, it's funny because every once in a while while I'm watching NBC Nightly News, there will be a commercial for Wheel of Fortune, and they've been working Sajak's daughter in, and it's like, is she taking over for Vanna? Is she taking over for Pat? Is this just like appeal to the under 87 demographic? I don't know. <laughs> but... but uh, but but anyway, uh, I, I assume the show will go on because it has gone on for as long as it has. They'll just need to find somebody who will 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 want to be the host. And if they're getting paid what Zach, Pat Sajak is getting paid, they'll gladly want to be the host. All right. Uh, we say all that. And, and Berkey says that Vanna White will still be there. We say all that because we've come up with a, a segment that's kind of Wheel of Fortune ish. The blank needs to solve blank. So this is very broad, very open-ended. Pick a team, pick anything, anything that needs to be solved in the NFL. The blank needs to solve blank. Really not. This is more match game right. than Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> but, but still, we're going to go with it. Chris, the blank need to solve blank. The NFL needs to solve the artificial turf problem in the NFL. All right? Well that, done. That's my first one. That needs to – man – I, I don't know if they've had any more of a, a hypocritical issue or thing, you know, a thorn stuck in their side more than that one right there. You know, as we know, and then, you know, you, you talked about it, you know, it sounds like the numbers were horrible this year as, you know, the injury rate on artificial turf compared to grass. I think we know there's only really been one year where it was good, and that was two seasons ago, and that's why the NFL, you know, clamored and made a big deal about it. But, yes, I'm just so sick of hearing about player safety, and then the easiest thing to fix is the damn thing we're all run- they're all running on. And then just the ultimate slap in the face, you know. But by it's, it's, here we are, it's, it's NFL athletes, we live in America – they don't. They voice their displeasure with playing on the service, but oh, hey, a bunch of other people from other countries going to come in and play soccer, and we'll we'll give them grass. Screw American NFL football player. Oh, German soccer player? Sure, no problem. Here's a nice grass field. Like what the f is that crap? That is some BS right there. They got to fix that. 
Well, and look, plain and simple, on a day when everyone is going to bend over backwards to kiss the ass and or lick the boots of Stan Kroenke because his teams are winning championships. Hey, Stan, put grass at SoFi Stadium. You should have built SoFi Stadium so it has grass in it. And you know what? When it's time for the World Cup to come to town, Stan the man is going to be putting grass in that stadium to placate the FIFA overlords because that's what it takes to host those games. Prime example of guys who have more money than God that don't want to spend it on protecting their investments and or taking care of the human beings who are their players. All right. Uh, He's got enough money to get me fired, too, so I better shut up. The Bills need to solve the Bengals and the Chiefs. That needs to happen in Buffalo. And it needs to happen soon because, and I know they don't like it when I say it, but it's not going to stop me from saying it. At some point, ownership is going to say, If we can't get to the Super Bowl with Josh Allen as our quarterback, with the current structure that we have in coaching and front office, we need to make some changes. Just like the Broncos did when John Elway said to John Fox, see you later, we're not getting it done. And he gets Gary Kubiak and he wins a Super Bowl in the first year with Kubiak as the head coach and Peyton Manning as still the quarterback. So the Bills need to solve the Bengals and the Chiefs, not one or the other. They need to solve both to be the team that they're trying to be. No, I, I, you know, the pressure's on. There's no doubt. I, I hear you. We all know it. They're a good football team. They got a quarterback. That's great. You're right. You know, you're a little more on the put them on notice conversation than I am, right? And the one thing I like, I'll like, you know, for me, McDermott and what he's done, especially being a defensive coach, that defense has exceeded the talent it has on the on the field in a lot of ways. Where like your example of like John Fox, where what I think the what the issue there was, hey, they had a they had superstars all over that defense, and John Fox and Jack Del Rio were coaching it, and they weren't that great. And then Wade Phillips came over, and like in one year they were like, oh whoa, that this is the greatest defense in the NFL, boom, right, just like that. You know, I I don't know, it, it's a tough situation. So it's a the, front office issue. The pressure's it's on. A front office the pressure's issue, on, then. no doubt. The, I mean. In in Buffalo, it's one or the other. Either they got the players and they're not coaching them up to the level that they need to be, or they don't have the players around Josh Allen. It's one or the other. Or maybe it's both. I don't know. But you're right. In Denver, it was, we got all these superstars and we're not getting it done, so we need a different coach. Right. But but my point is, when you have Josh Allen and you're watching Joe Burrow go to the Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes go to the Super Bowl three times, and you're still waiting, and you're still watching, and you can't even get back to the AFC Championship, th- th- that's an issue. That's a problem. All right, what else do you have? All right, well, I think the next one, I mean, you just talked about one of these teams, but I'm going to go there. The the um, the Bengals need to solve the Joe Burrow contract problem. And then not a problem, or just solve the, the Joe Burrow contract, I should say. Right? I think that's that's where I look at that. And, and I don't mean it as in like, oh, no, something bad's going to happen. But – you know, for the reasons you just talked about, they got a team here that's that's set up to be in the Super Bowl window here for a little, for for a while, I should say. And if Joe Burrow's contract gets done and gets done the right way, I, you know, it's the other pieces that fall into place that I think is the most important thing to me here. Yeah, you want to make Burrow happy, but we know I think his contract is affecting T. Higgins, and then of course it's going to affect Jamar Chase, who I expect as soon as the year's over to ask for a new contract as well. He should. Uh, so that's one I look at, you know, the, to, to be a pretty big deal and, and maybe the next big contract that's uh, on the horizon, either him or Justin Herbert and the, the Chargers. I'm going to focus on something longer term than just the next contract, and it's something we've talked about in the past. 
the Cowboys need to solve their long-term relationship with Dak Prescott because their failure to pay him when the window opened after his third season and then they get into the franchise tag dance and entering the second year of Dak Prescott under the franchise tag, he had them over a barrel. He got a four-year, $160 million contract, which has some huge cap numbers coming up. They have to ask themselves, do we continue to stay on this ride where we're going to have to pay this guy at or close to market value over and over again, or do we get off? Do we stop the ride and try to find a different quarterback? Where do you have him this year? Where do you land in your rankings? He is, uh, not top 10. 13, no, right? 13, I believe, was my yeah. number. Yep, right. Yep. He's he's sinking, not necessarily because his skills have diminished, but because there's so many other great quarterbacks out there who are better than he is. But he's he's finagled away, and I have I, I don't I don't criticize the ability of a guy to get highly compensated. But at some point, if you're going to be market value franchise quarterback, you got to have franchise quarterback achievement. And at some point, what the Cowboys need to ask is, what, what, where are we going to be here? Do we have a hard limit on what we're willing to pay him? And we're not going to pay a penny more? And if so, we're going to find somebody else? Or do we just decide we need to find and start grooming somebody else? But they just need to solve the long-term relationship. It just feels like it's reaching kind of this hard-to-sustain status where he's got them over a barrel again. Yeah. And they're trying to downplay it. Well, right. hey, if you don't take care of the contract now, he's got even more power next year because his salary cap number is going to be kissing $60 million next year. No, it, it's, it's, it's definitely one of those that's not going noticed, right? It seems like the Cowboys want more out of him. He's really good. The market's going up like you're talking about. But is he going to ask for the type of money that's, hey, yeah, top two, three, four quarterback type money, which I think we all know right now he's not that. He's not. So, yeah, there, there's definitely you know something brewing on the horizon there as far as Dak Prescott. Hey, hey you know, I have a hard time going back to when we talked about his ranking. Like, the, the social media team throwing them under the bus, right? I, I have a hard time that happens without ownership kind of like okaying it to a degree or some, of some sort of nature there. But I think it does speak a little bit to, yeah, they want their guy that's making $45 million a year not to play like he has in their last two playoff appearances. And I think that's, you know, that's fair. I get it. Let me say this real quick, too, yeah. because I, I hear this all the time, yeah. that there's some sort of a firewall between the social media team and the team itself. Yeah. Whenever a guy gets cut and there's that social media post of, thank you, guy, we just told to pack your stuff and leave, that drives me crazy. You're firing the guy. But what are you thanking him for? You're telling him to leave. You're ending the relationship. And, of course, the reaction is, oh, it's just the social media team. Look, it's the team. The team owns it. If the team doesn't like it, the social media team wouldn't be doing it. If the Cowboys didn't at some level endorse what they did when they threw Dak Prescott under the bus, they wouldn't have done it. Or they would have fired the social media person who did it. And if that would have happened, we'd have heard about it. I agree. That's one of those tweets where I feel like it's like they go to the – the powers to be to be like, hey, we got to release something about the game and what happened. And, you know, I could see Jerry being very blunt in that situation and go, oh, just tell him, a, just tell him Dak Prescott screwed the game up again. You know, something like that, right? Like, I could totally see that. So, uh, but yeah, the Cowboys, the Dak relationship, definitely something to watch out for that's kind of flying under the radar here over the next few months there, Mike. I'm with you in that one. Um, next one. 
All right, I'm going to go a little more big, big, big picture here again. Just the the NFL needs to solve the scheduling process issue. Okay, that 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 to me, it's an issue to me. Yes, and uh, it goes back again back to player safety. But I would just think again, we're we're in a period here where we have enough of a time frame, and it's 32 teams, it's eight, 17 games a year. Why can't we figure it out and finagle it some way to where we should never have anybody playing NFL football on, 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 less, on, on less than four days rest? It's like should be like a six-day minimum. You know, It's easy for all these schedule makers and all that to say all that when you, you haven't played football. But damn, man, I think their thoughts would be a little different if they had to play middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears on a 25-degree day and tackle you know, Adrian Peterson 45 times during a game. And see how they feel on you know Thursday morning when they got to wake up for a game. Then that to me is again we talk about player safety and all these things and it's just BS 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 BS. And I'd like to find a way to to spread these games out for the players. Yeah, and there's different ideas that get kicked around, but but when the NFL's frontline position is the injury rates are no different for games played on normal rest versus games played between Sunday to Thursday, how do you ever convince them that they need to do anything? Once you come to that conclusion as the league and you're willing to present it to others with a straight face, you can do it as often as you want. That's why there's going to be teams with two Sunday-Thursday games. Hell, you could have 10 of them if you wanted to because the injury rate's no different between playing on Sunday and playing on Thursday. And then when you have, like... I mean, and I love the Kelsey brothers, but they're they're waving these pom poms. And I think Jason Kelsey said something outlandish that anybody who who says they don't like uh, playing on Thursday night is just looking for attention. I mean, there are plenty of guys who genuinely hate having to play between Sunday and Thursday, and and we know as fans the, the quality of the games. Isn't it's not that good. the same, so, right? So, um, okay, one more real quick. Uh, and what was I going to say here? Oh, I, I'll stick with something more granular and simple so we can get to break. The 49ers need to figure out and need to solve, I guess, to stay true to the, the, the mission here. They need to solve their quarterback position once and for all. I mean, it feels like every year it is this, who's it going to be, who's it going to be, who's it going to be? And I think we wouldn't have it if Brock Purdy hadn't got injured in the NFC Championship, but still, here we are. Who's it going to be, who's it going to be, who's it going to be? Wouldn't it be great for the 49ers if they just had one guy that we knew every year was healthy, he's going to stay healthy like every other great quarterback, and he's the guy. Think of how good the 49ers could be if they could just solve that once and for all. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, Mike, and I'm, I'm hoping it gets solved for, for my buddy Kyle Shanahan. You know that. I'm rooting for that. But it's, it's been, the, yeah, the issue with the team. They're damn good. They're, you know, well-built. He's an awesome coach. But, yeah, we know the quarterback position has, has let them down. And then so, it's, yeah, could be the difference in them having won a Super Bowl or two maybe by, by now. All right, we've got to take a quick break. We'll have more PFT Live for you right after this. Well done. Welcome to my hell, or at least my purgatory for the last 50 years. The Minnesota Vikings trying to presumably take the next step this year, although maybe they're taking a step back in the hopes of taking a couple of steps farther. Their big issue 
is the future of the quarterback position. And don't take our word for it. Here's Cam Jordan from the Pass Rush Summit that was held over the weekend explaining the importance of making good decisions quickly and taking a little shot at the back end on a quarterback he's going to face coming up in November. You see a little, you see a lot, you see a lot, you see a little. If you're so focused on what's next. Oh, where's his hand? If it's where, What is he like to throw these hands? You're so worried about all these other factors. You're slowing yourself down thinking. And in this game, you are, you all like everybody knows a fast wrong decision can be a right decision. And a fast right decision, you're a winner. And a slow right decision, get your ass on the bench. Because there's somebody out here that's going to be moving at a different speed. Slow right decisions, we love them. Call them Kirk Cousins. Good move, you got blood. Oh, boy. I mean, that was completely gratuitous. He's talking about the decision-making process for pass rushers and how it's important to make fast right decisions. And if you make slow right decisions, you're going to get your ass on the bench. And then he just goes right to, yeah, slow Why? right decisions. We right. call them Kirk Cousins. I, I just – I yeah, I mean, I, why why take the shot at? It? I don't get it. I, I don't I don't understand it. Why is Kirk Cousins the guy you you have to take a shot at? I mean, he played great last year. I mean, the year before, I mean, you, you look at Kirk Cousins and what he's doing. Yeah, he's not a superstar. First, the, the first thing I would push back on and is go this slow decision. Kirk Cousins is who he is because of fast decisions. That that's so that he's wrong in that. Everybody knows that. That's why Kevin O'Connell's like, oh, I kind of like him. And we've talked about McVay and Shanahan. It wasn't because they were like, hey, he's a slow processor, so I want him in my offense because I'm going to give him a lot to think about, but he won't be able to process it because it's slow, right? That, that To me, it's just an unnecessary, like you said, gratuitous, untrue, low blow. I don't like it. I think that the issue is, and where the criticism has some validity, yeah. is he does go deer in the headlights when the play that's called goes sideways. And if he could improve his processing speed, when you go from processing the play that's called to pulling something out of your butt, that's where Cousins needs to speed it up. Yeah. That's when okay. he slows down just enough that he doesn't know what to do next, and by the time he implements it, it's too late. And I don't know at this point in his career – if there's anything well, no, that's where I, you know, again, it's not on up. him. He's not going to change that much, right? Like Tom right. Brady couldn't get out of the damn pocket ever either. You know what they did? They just said, hey, we got to block better and give more stuff to process, and he'll take advantage of it, right? And that's where, that's what Kirk Cousins needs. So I don't know. That, I, I don't think that was necessary. That's why I don't like it. I just get sick of people piling on Kirk Cousins all the time, right? He did go to New Orleans and beat Cam Jordan in a playoff game there. Just like to remind everybody of that. Well, thanks to uncalled offensive pass interference in overtime by Kyle Rudolph, but still, he did it. All right, we got to take a break because we still you're have two team seconds and left. You're still taking a clock, shot, at and I have no idea. Jerk! I have no idea how we're going to fit two segments in. The you like it, Kirk Cousins? We <laughs> we'll be back. <laughs> See ya. NASCAR returns to NBC June 25 in Nashville. Then, for the first time ever, the streets of Chicago catch wow. all of NASCAR's second half of the season on NBC and Peacock. In the background there is Daytona, and that's relevant to the NFL because as the Jaguars try to get their home stadium renovated, they need someplace else to play. And one of the potential destinations, in addition to Gainesville, University of Florida, the Camping World Stadium in Orlando, and a couple of temporary spots in Jacksonville, Daytona. Daytona, on the infield there, it doesn't look big enough to me, but apparently it is. They just put a football field on the infield, 
and all those stands could be filled up with Jaguars fans. Now, it would be configured for about forty-five to 50,000 for football. It's a 101,000-seat arena. It would just look weird to have football being played there. It definitely would, right? You figure, like, could the crowd really get involved? It seems removed from the field or the stadium that way, right? Where I, I mean, if I were the Jaguars, I'd rather be in a real football stadium. Uh, but, I, you know, for a viewing interest, it might be cool to see this a, a few times for sure. They got a long way to go to get to that point because, first of all, they got to come up with nearly a billion dollars in taxpayer money to renovate that stadium, which will knock them out for a couple of years. We'll be back in a couple of minutes to wrap up this Tuesday edition of PFT. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be wearing their creamsicle uniforms October 15 at home against the Lions. And the Bucs actually call them the creamsicles now. These things were derided when they were the regular uniform. Then they went away, and now everybody loves them. They can't wait to see the Buccaneers back in the old Bucko Bruce logo with that. It was They were trying to do a twist on the Miami, you know, like the yeah. Art Deco, right. tropical colors. Sure. And, and again, people hated it at the time, but they love it now. Yeah, it's one of those where you like, I, I love it. I want to see it every now and then. I think it would get old if you saw it every day, right? This is like, it was a little too tropical, a little too soft for football, I think, when it all came down to it. I wish I got to wear them once or twice. That would have been nice, all right? I mean, there I am. I look good as Bucko Bruce, that's for sure. Uh, but, damn, I never got a chance to put it's, them on. Hey, hey. Is that the knife they use to take out your spleen? <laughs> That's it right got there. got blood on the end of yeah, it. Yeah, Dr. Echevarria, he just <laughs> took that. I was literally like so in such pain, Mike, that I was literally like, take a machete out and open me or, up right now. Or, or, or were you biting on it like, you know, the guy bites <laughs> yeah, on the right. belt when they were like, operating exactly. on him in the Old West. We're done. What a way to end it. <laughs> Buying a master mechanics tool set usually means high prices, higher interest rates, and who knows how many years of monthly payments. But at GearWrench, we don't believe that your tools should take years and years to pay for. So check out Mega Mod Master Sets, the master mechanics tool sets that deliver pro-quality tools, organized storage solutions, an easy-to-use lifetime warranty, and much, much more. All for thousands less than you'd expect. So don't wait. Explore the sets and check availability now. Only at GearWrench.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.